Welcome to Sport Media and Tech. I'm Keel Blake. On this episode, Dr. Jeff Porter, Mark Hotchkin, and I spend time with Adam Goodyear, CEO and founder of Real Life Tech. We talk how his company is helping venues and experiences relaunch during COVID safely. Through experience automation, they're using predictive analytics to engage fans at the perfect moments. Stay tuned to learn more. Ever, ever since I was at, I was at college, um, I've always been an entrepreneur. I started my own events. Um, I wanted to be a superstar DJ and producer and musician. Uh, and because I wasn't that good, the only way that people would let me play is if I was running the events myself. Um, and I started doing that and uh, just sort of felt my way through a number of, of different companies, some that worked, some that, that didn't. And uh, when we started uh, Real Life, uh, it was very much in the music and entertainment space. And uh, we built up some good client relationships and shown that we could work well with, uh, with clients in the industry. And uh, when you do that, you know, when you can do good things, and particularly for us, it was using data and technology to generate new revenue. And when you do that, you find that new opportunities come along. And from working with a large U.S. company called AEG, who you may know, um, and working in London with the O2 Arena, which is one of their big, big venues. Um, we started working with some major sports teams in London and started working then with AEG in the U.S. and then in some major festivals and then into sports in the U.S. And it's then snowballed from there. Um, just, we think, by uh, you know, doing what you say you're going to do and doing it well. So Adam, let's dive in a little bit more to uh, what real life does. Um, you know, the problem you're trying to solve, and then maybe some you know examples of uh, of what you've done with your uh, great list of partners. Sure. Um, I think I think the the, the problem that we solve is something that we're all going to be familiar with. You know, we're all fans of sports. We're all fans of music. We're all been you know been not so much nowadays, but uh, been to these great live experiences, real world experiences, but also at those experiences, they are a lot of the time, not as smooth as they could be. You know, there's so much time that you spend maybe waiting in line or waiting to get your tickets or not knowing where to go or missing out on core parts of the action. But what we saw as real life is that if you can combine all of the different data sources that exist around a major sports event, for example. So that's anything from apps or websites or social to ticketing to the access control that you touch in when you're scanning a ticket uh, to ordering food and beverage, paying with the cash register, walking past digital screens, so many different data sources. If you can link those together and make them intelligent and then in turn turn them into intelligent systems that understand where each of the fans' journeys have been, you can start to remove those pain points. So you can make it easier to get in. You can make it easier to find your seat. You can make it easier to, uh, to order what you want to order, merchandise, food, beverage, beers, hot dogs, whatever that may be. You can make it easier to find information on the plays that are happening. And that whole real-world experience becomes better by unifying data. And that's what real life is all about for us. And especially now, as we start to hopefully bring back 
these great events from uh, from COVID, which has decimated our industries, that the need to utilize data to make it safe as well as a better experience is vital. So those two areas are where real life focuses. Adam, taking a step further, what type of technology is real life trying to use to actually reduce that friction or those pain points that you mentioned for the fan experience? So it's a really good question. Thank you, Jeff. So what we look to focus on are the technologies that are already in play. We saw very quickly that in areas of sports, in areas of entertainment, and in fact, across all of of, of real-world businesses often, that there are technology and data silos everywhere, and that clients have invested a lot. And to rip and replace all the time with something new is costly and often ineffective. And what we saw is that if you can utilize what is already in place and make that better, make it more intelligent and make it seamlessly linked, then you can have something that is future-proofed. And this is why we describe ourselves as a, as a real-world web cookie. So like web cookies in the digital world will, uh, will link the data points between website to website, app to app. We do the same with real-world systems and therefore make them intelligent, like they're a part of almost like a real-world web. And that was very much our focus, make it flexible and use the existing technology that's in place. Yeah, you know, Adam, it's really interesting because we talk about this not only in class, but we talk about this, you know, in, in the industry at our professional roles about, you know, where the industry is going from an automation standpoint. So could you give an example of just like one instance of something that you're automating that's, you know, helping communicate either to the fan or also helping save time for the team, um, you know, in the day to day of operating a venue? Sure. What I'd like to do, if that's okay, is focus on you know what we think is going to be the most exciting and the most important use case for this, which is automating the output of a of a rapid COVID test with access to the digital ticket and access to uh, the venue or destination. Uh, we're working with a number of our partners worldwide on how you how are we going to get people back in. Uh, in venues and destinations safely, but also to, to a point where you can operationally control that. You know, you've got 20,000, 40,000, 100,000 people trying to get in. How are you going to be able to, if testing is the way to do that, how are you going to be able to administer tests effectively enough and then get people into the, to the building? So what we've seen is that you automate the output of a, of a test, wherever that happens from, it could be from multiple sources, it could be the doctor, it could be uh, just before you get in, it could be, uh, you know, literally as you're, as you're waiting in line in a COVID secure environment. So what happens is we automate the, the data point that identifies the individual with the positive or hopefully negative test, that then automates access and digital ticket to then transfer into the app at the point that that test is negative, to then automate the access control system to let you in the building. And, you know, for us, this is a, a classic example of a real, you know, a really needed and real world use case that without that automation, the process is so manual that you'll never be able to get people back into, uh, into our great events again. Um, and that's the one that I would point to that's the, that's the most important at the moment. 
Yeah, obviously, uh, you know, COVID-19 and the pandemic has been the biggest story in, in sports business probably in the last decade at least. Um, you know, it's interesting to hear you talk about some of the, the next steps um, with how you'll help your partners get people back into stadiums and, and most importantly, get them back safely. So how did how were you able to as a company, obviously a lot of the people we've talked to and a lot of what we've seen in the industry, people are just trying to you know, get by with the pandemic and they're kind of, you know, there's no real playbook for this. They're, they're just trying to kind of uh, bridge the gaps. It sounds like you're looking at things in, in a much longer range um, and how to, you know, get back and really thrive in this space. Just kind of curious about how you've, you've navigated the entire uh, COVID um, landscape. Obviously a lot has happened in the last few months. Sure. Um, I guess the way that we've navigated the, the, the COVID landscape is the first thing that we did is we talked to our clients, um, you know, at, and, and we're looking at what is going to be needed coming out and both out of this and, you know, into, uh, you know, whatever happens when, when it's finished. And, you know, our view was that, okay, everybody's going to be financially decimated. So uh, they're going to need real ways to, to, to maximize the dollars that, that they're creating through their technology, which has always been our focus anyway. Uh, however, when we were talking to our clients at the beginning of, uh, of when COVID happened in March and um, uh, April this year, the message coming back from them was very clear, that it was much more fundamental. It was about how do you reassure fans that it is safe and it is going to be safe to come back and enjoy live events again? Uh, and really, that's where we then put our efforts into, okay, how can we, how can we maintain the core parts of our platform, which are around making those existing technologies smarter, uh, more revenue generative, but also can we use the same technology to, uh, to actually make it seem safer? So uh, how can you deliver clearer information to fans about exactly when they should arrive, how, how they should distance? How can you make it so you don't ever have to leave your seat if you're ordering food and beverage, or if you do have to leave your seat, that there is a specific time for you to go and collect that's going to minimize contact. So that was our, that was our focus in, uh, in firstly talking to the industry and taking away our conception of what we thought would be needed and listening and then working in partnership um, with our clients to develop that. And I think that's really where, we have a new unique advantage and also a responsibility in that our clients are leading in, uh, in industry and sport coming back, you know, everywhere from, uh, you know, IMS and the Indy 500, um, you know, through to Tottenham Hotspur football club in, in London, through to LA galaxy, um, you know, big leaders in sport that they're at the forefront of how things are going to come back. And we felt it was a, you know, a responsibility for us to do something as well as an opportunity. So Adam, taking this uh, question from Mark and then kind of diving a bit deeper into it, even even more so than we've already explained is, so we all we typically have asked our previous guests about how they have identified and how they've been able to navigate COVID. Now, what I'm really hearing from you is like the navigating the post-COVID world and what lessons learned have you taken from everything that you've kind of done to make this seamless transition for fans and for, for patrons uh, into, into the venues? How are you going to use those lessons uh, once we get past whatever this COVID timeframe is? Yeah, really good question. Um, 
you know, I, when I talk about these these sorts of things, I think there's always a danger that you start to um, that you you start to to look back and uh, you know feel that, that the things that were put in place were were the outcome of some great strategy that you had. Uh, you know, throughout the 20 years that I've been doing this, my entrepreneurial life across sports and entertainment and elsewhere has always been scrappy. It's always been opportunistic. It's always been about uh, looking at a path and trying to choose it and act on it very, very quickly. And I guess one of the things that we've always set our company up to do was respond quickly and to be able to uh, to innovate and pivot to where the core things that you do and your core vision is most needed. And I guess that was very much our approach with this in that, you know, we were fortunate enough that we, we had, um, that we raised uh, a financing round uh, actually just at the start of, uh, of, of COVID, um, which gave us some financial security. And I think that's an important thing to, to mention because, if we hadn't, then I think our approach would be very much, how do you just keep the lights on, like a lot of people in this industry? Um, but we were able to look at innovation and look at how we could strategically put our resources into play. Uh, and that was our, our focus, just like I said to Mark's question, researching, talking to clients, talking to the industry, what do you really need? What is important? And then how can we turn and do that quickly? And this is what we're seeing. You know, things change daily. You know, daily you're getting massive strategic shifts. Like, you know, it may be when this podcast airs, it might be completely different. But today we've got talk of, of you know, global vaccines being available, you know, prior to Christmas and just through the new year. I mean, this is a complete sea change. So responding to that uh, and responding to the other changes really quickly is absolutely vital for us and will continue to be so. Adam, what I really like about this is we've talked to a lot of professionals about COVID, how it's impacted their business, but the difference here is, you know, it's what we talk about in class with students. You can look at data, you can look at what's there, but it's how you apply it that becomes so unique and becomes so defensible as an IP and as a service and, and really where there's, you know, niche opportunities to build a business around. And so something that I think is really unique and um, interesting about your business is just how you've gone in and applied this and you've dissected like you know, what are the fans concerns, you know, to start or when do they need the timing? So you didn't go out and gather the tools and build the tech first. You, you said, what's the user experience or the fan experience that they need in order to feel safe back in the venue? So could you just share a little bit about from the, the walking in the fans lens, what are their concerns and when are the times that they really need that, that messaging? Yeah. So from, from what we've seen in both talking to fans, talking to clients, testing our products, is that they want reassurance around the, the safety features and implementations that are being put in place. And they want that information clearly. You know, I think we all live in a world and, you know, we're coming out of the major election, as you know, in the U.S., where there's, you know, there's a lot of disinformation around everything, you know, a lot of fake news. And when it comes to your safety, you need information that is clear and personal to you. You know, what we saw is they want to know 
how they can get to stadiums safely with, you know, avoiding uh, either, you know, congestion on the roads if, every, if everyone's trying to come at the same time, uh, or particularly if they're taking public transport. How do they ensure that they're kept safe? So timing on public transport, accurate information being able to be delivered to them based on their ticket and when they should be coming in. Where should I go when I get there? How do I get very clear information on uh, where exactly I should go to minimize contact? How do I ensure that the things I'm buying or the food I'm eating has been prepared in a COVID safe way? Even basics like how do I know where the nearest bathroom is and how do I know when that bathroom was last cleaned? All of these things there are data points for and we're able to amalgamate them together. And for us, the focus was on, OK, we've got an identity point around a ticket. But if you can start to uh, to use the ticket as the identifier and add ingress and egress, so entry and exit times to that ticket, add wayfinding specifically from the entry point to the seat, then only show the concession points that are near to the seat in order to uh, to order directly through your mobile app. Pull in the cleaning rotor so that you can see the bathrooms that are nearby and provide that information and reassurance as to when that bathroom was cleaned. Uh, and it's these sort of measures around giving that clear and reassuring information that was coming back from fans. And that's where we look to focus with our technology. You talked a lot about the real value is, is linking all the different data sources. Um, talk a little bit about like, you know, what are the tools and the software you're integrating with? Um, particularly, I'm kind of curious how machine learning, AI um, kind of fit into your strategy. Sure. Um, you know, I, I, I'm sure in your, in your line of, of, uh, of work, Mark, you know, you've done a lot around uh, systems integrations. It's, uh, it's not fun. It's not often easy. Um, dealing with legacy systems is, is often quite complicated. Thank God I don't have to do it. I'm not a, I'm not a, a data engineer um, or a data scientist, thankfully. Awesome. Um, but, you know, we have a great team of people. The first thing that they focus on is, um, is data normalization. So how can you make sure that the, the data you're picking up from multiple systems is in a format that can be analyzed and analyzed effectively? And this is 80% of a data scientist's work. It's just working on data sets to make sure that anomalies are removed. And that can be anything from uh, you know, di different uh, ways that different words or numbers are, are, are written in different types of data tables, matching the really, really mind-numbingly boring stuff, but absolutely essential. Uh, fortunately, we then developed a tool and an algorithm to do that start to remove some of those difficulties. So starting on using data science in, in an operational sense. So it's now easier for us to amalgamate data sources together so that they can be analyzed in tandem. And then what we start to do is look at different, at different use cases. And I'll go into um, a more commercial use case. And this is quite a fun one, um, but it gives you an idea of some of the algorithms that, that we use. And this developed out of music festivals. and what we saw when we were trying to look at, uh, at, at maximizing revenue for our clients is that if you're going to promote something to someone, you know, maybe it's a, it's a, uh, you know, a drink or whatever it may be, and you want to put a discount on that, how do you know that the person you're promoting it to wouldn't have bought it anyway? 
uh, and that you're therefore just giving someone a discount when you're they're going to buy it and you're just you're losing dollars on that. So we developed an algorithm called Last Orders, and what Last Orders does is it uh, it uses probability to analyze different traits around a transaction. So if you go up and make a make a payment, you know, over the counter using your credit card or in your festival app or in your team app or whatever it may may be. But our system sits in the background analyzing the traits of that transaction and it makes a probability a decision as to is this the last order that you're going to make as a fan uh, at this particular event. And if it hits within a certain probability zone, I, it's not definitely your last order because if it was, it would, there's no chance you're going to make another one. But if there's enough probability that you will uh, and enough that you won't, uh, then and only then is it, does it trigger uh, an offer to you. Uh, and it pulls in a number of different really interesting variables. And, and from that algorithm alone, we are able to generate hundreds of thousands of additional dollars for our festival partners. Uh, and, you know, as, a, as, a, as a, uh, a customer, you know, you're getting the product that you want at the right time. So it's a win-win for all. Adam, I, I want to switch gears just a little bit. And, and from hearing, by the way, I will point out the legacy systems comment is hilarious um, because we deal with it all the time. It is absolutely hilarious. So just put a plug there. Um, but when it comes to the integrations, what are you most excited about in your job and what's coming? Uh in, in my job, or just in, in, in integrations, are we going to go? Are we going to go deep into into tech side, or you know, more on? Do you want to go more on the, the bigger side? Well, I'll let you tell me. Right, tell me what what is it that gets you out of bed that you're like, I can't wait for this thing to roll out. Uh, for a start, I, I have two young kids. Things that get me out of bed are my kids at five a.m. So uh, <laughs> you know that that's that's a bit of a sore point. So maybe let's not talk about what gets me out of bed in the morning. Um, what gets me excited? Um, I, th I think what, and, it, and it ties into both areas of, of your question. What gets me excited is the new real world that we're going to create. That uh, the ability to be able to uh, to both combine data sources and integrate products together, but particularly the change in mindset that we're going to see post COVID, where technology adoption uh, is going to move forward maybe five or ten years in a year. And this isn't just in terms of, of, of sports or in terms of other forms of entertainment. One of the things that interests me most is what happens to our traditional towns and city centers where people used to go and congregate, particularly cities, around jobs. The world of work is going to change completely. Therefore, the way that people interact with city centers is going to change completely. People aren't going to be there for work as much as they were. And therefore, the ecosystem that supports them is also going to fundamentally change. We're going to need a new reason to travel into our cities. And what better reason to live in the real world than entertainment, than pure joy? And therefore, I see that our sports, our colleges, our entertainment destinations are going to become more and more of focal points for why people are traveling into major destinations. And therefore there's the responsibility to not just think about the event itself, but think about the ecosystem that it supports. 
you know, all of the different businesses that can spring up around that and why you need to be getting people into physical locations again. And this is the thing that gets me up in the morning is how we as a company can make that easier. How can you make those journeys into the real world easier? So it's not just, okay, I'm going to sit and, uh, you know, watch Netflix in my underwear with a tiny little fridge next to me. Sorry, that's, that's just, that's just me. Uh, you know, how are you going to get away from that? <laughs> and into uh, into real world destinations again. Oh yeah, I, I love that. I love that, Adam. And you know, I just uh, I'm so glad we've talked about the practical application, you know, for COVID and, and safety concerns. And but you know, you, you brought up some really good points. And it, it's there's a lot of really neat pieces of data we can use to build personalization about better understanding our fans. So I'm just happy there's somebody thinking about the probability of me ordering nachos and say the third quarter of the basketball game, right? You know, somebody out there, some machine out there is thinking about, you know, how probable am I going to order nachos? So my question is, is what is your favorite in-game, like food, beverage, experience? Like, what do you enjoy personally when you go out? You just shared your home experience, which we're going to, we're going to move on from that. But <laughs> let's talk about in the venue. What do you enjoy? Okay. So I've got, I've got two things. Um, uh, I'm a soccer fan. You know, I come from the UK. Uh, I'm a soccer fan. Uh, and traditionally in soccer, you have um, pies. If you guys have pies. And they are, it's like literally, some, they're probably filled with dog meat, bits of grit from the ground, you know, various other things that you wouldn't want to, to enforce on anything. Um, but they are a tradition and they taste wonderful. Mm -hmm. So that's my one thing in the UK. Uh, my next thing that, that uh, because we have a, a big presence in the US, we have a, a, a Los Angeles office and I, I just miss, I miss Southern California. Uh, uh, you know, I, especially at this time of year here in the UK. Um, and I was fortunate enough to, to go to, um, to Dodger Stadium for my first ever baseball game. And there I had not one, but two Dodger dogs, uh, which I think, you know, must be, I think it makes me an honorary uh, Angelian, I think certainly, if not an, an honorary American. That is awesome. Listen, when you come out to Michigan Stadium, uh, let me know. We, there's a couple of things we have out here that you can order. Uh, poutine is a classic for some of our uh, Canadian-born or American crossovers, so that's one thing that uh, is one of my favorites, actually, in the stadium. Jeff, that sounds uh, amazing. Uh, you know, I'm very, I love to travel. Um, I, I haven't spent enough time in the wonderful state of Michigan, so uh, when I next come to uh, come to that state, I'll I'll definitely visit, and you can uh, you can regale me with the culinary delicacies. Absolutely, that, uh, that we've got there. absolutely, we've got a couple of things on deck for you. Just We'll wait, we'll wait for it. Uh, especially when Tom Brady comes back in town, right? We have a couple of restaurants that are, are staples. So can't wait for to have you. Nice. Awesome. Uh, you know, you talked a little bit about the, the in-venue experience. I'm kind of curious what to you, um, kind of the future of the in arena experiences. I mean, a lot of people ask me about, you know, are, are these places too big? Are these stadiums too big? Especially now that um, people are worried about distancing and there's already a move to maybe slightly smaller arenas with premium seating type space. But do you think stadiums and arenas are kind of ready for the uh, 
the title change the, that's coming and what do you think that looks like? That's a really great question. Um, do I think they're ready? On the whole, no. Um, uh, you know, we, we're fortunate enough to work in, in two of, uh, of Europe's certainly um, greatest um, venues. So the new uh, Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, which was a uh, $1.5 billion stadium, uh, and the O2 Arena. And um, both of them focus on the, the ability to have space that can be that can be personalized to whatever the need is. And I think having a uh, having an environment where you can, uh, you know, if you want a premium experience, you can have a premium experience and that there is space to be able to to do that. Um, but, you know, if you want to have, you know, also something that is, you know, that is slightly more sort of gritty and real, then again, you can do that. And I think that the main thing that we have to be mindful of is that you can't do one size fits all, that people just don't accept it. That experience of the real world of sports, of arenas needs to be better and it needs to be able to personalize to people's different wants and needs both from a data and technology perspective, but just also operationally and, and from a facilities. And I don't think they're ready for it. Um, and you can't really blame them. Uh, you know, they've had a lot to contend with, but they're going to have to get ready for it very, very quickly. And I think certainly when you see new builds, they are, and all of this is brought into mind. Um, but yeah, if you're a, a legacy arena, we talked about legacy systems, if you're a legacy arena, I don't want to use that in a disparaging way because some of the most you know romantic and beautiful places are, um, but there there is going to be a need to adapt. So you know I hope that the people in charge of all, all of these great destinations, uh, you know, are ready for that and are ready to embrace um, you know all of the new ideas that are come, going to come forward. So I'll, again, I'm going to put the plug in. Some of our best beautiful arenas are legacy. Uh, I have one of them right here. Uh, so the question then becomes, how does 5G play a role in some of the integration? Will it, will it change? Does the stadium then need to be integrated as much as we think it does because of the ability of 5G? Like kind of what are your thoughts on that? Uh, I think it's going to play a really big difference. Um, one of the things I'm interested in is how much 5G is going to change the the, the viewing experience. How much is uh, it, are the likes of AR going to play a part in that viewing experience? Because I think, you know, the, the things that we do in terms of making the, uh, let's call it the ancillary experience of the event better. One of the things we don't try and mess with is watching the game. You know, we think that you know, the purity of that entertainment uh, you know, shouldn't be detracted from too much. However, no one can deny that it, the the addition of, of of stats in sports and TV, uh, you know, particularly in things where there might you know it might be complicated. You know, baseball, for example, you know, really helps to have clear information there, and therefore the ability to have that in game when you're actually watching it, I think, will be vital. So, although it's not really something that we do. We've got a lot of great partners in AR, but it's not something we do ourselves. 
that's the thing that I think is gonna uh, is gonna really come forward. And I'm interested to see how it goes because it needs to be subtle uh, and it needs to assist without taking away from you know you actually watching the action. But I, that's where I think it can really help. So, so Adam, you know, I'm curious, we've talked about contact, contactless payments, we've talked about, you know, some geofencing, some communication in terms of timing with fans. Um, but could you share just some of the groups that you've worked with in terms of launching after COVID and what that has looked like? Uh, so we were, we were originally uh, planning for the return of fans um, uh, at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway with the Indy 500. You know, sadly, we weren't able to uh, to have fans back at that great event. Um, but a, a month later, we were able to back up and running. Um, the, the focus there, and I don't know if you've ever been to, to the Indy 500, fantastic event, but, you know, it's old school. Uh, and that's part of its, part of its great charm. Uh, and, you know, the idea of, uh, of turning... Uh, the Indy 500 and the Indianapolis Motor Speedway Digital, even two years ago, you know, in some circumstances, you may have been laughed out of a room. What the focus was for IMS this time was around uh, digital ticketing and mobile ordering uh, and how to integrate the, the, the ticketing systems, the pulse systems and the app together uh, to make the digital ticket uh, as easy as possible to to access. And one of the amazing stats from IMS is that it went from virtually no digital ticket uptake to over 60% digital ticket uptake at IMS. Uh, and that's virtually overnight. And that's what we're seeing right across the board, that the move away from paper ticketing uh, is it, it's almost accepted that it's just going to happen it's, it's not something that's even being debated so that was one um the other is is uh, uh I'll, I'll take tottenham again as an as an example and working with the premier league coming back and this huge stadium uh where the focus there was moving to uh, to cashless and so what we worked with tottenham on were converting uh uh, all of their concession points and their bars into mobile ordering and uh, and cashless, um, particularly focused on using their app in order to do that and working with a lot of great partners um, within the stadium on the food and beverage and concession side, as well as within, within operations to not just look at technology, but to look at the way that, uh, that the flow would operate, that what the user journey was um, in app and in mobile. So a lot of thought has gone into that detail as well. Um, so there's just a, a you know a couple of case studies showing that both the sea change and also the detail that that a lot of our clients are looking at. This is obviously like an area that's really uh, going to be growing. I mean, as far as I can tell, into the future. And I'm kind of curious what you would say to people who might be interested in pursuing uh, this area as as a career. Um, what does it take? And what are the skills? What are the, the characteristics? What are the things you need to do to, to strive in this industry? Uh, I think the things that you need to, to strive in this industry are things you need to strive really in, in any industry. And we're, we're fortunate enough to 
to work with, you know, a lot of great people coming out of colleges. Um, you know, in, in our industry, we actively look for people to recruit in this space ourselves. And what, what, what we look for personally are people who share uh, our values as a company. And I think, you know, in any, any job you're looking to get, really understanding what the values and the culture of that company is or that organization is and how you can reflect those, even asking the question. You know, this is one of the best interview questions to ask if you are being interviewed and they say at the end of the interview, do you have any questions? So I would say the main thing that's important if you are looking to work in this industry is to understand and align on the values and culture of the company that you want to be working for. Um, we put a, a lot of stock on matching uh, people who share the same vision and those same values. And for us, that's about you know, really caring about the things that you do, the industry that you work in, your career, and how you treat others, and also uh, creating impact. So, for working with us, we look for people who have proven that they have gone above and beyond to create impact. And that doesn't just have to be in work. It can be in school. It can be in social activities. And we ask questions that align to that. And, and in turn, one of the best questions to be asked, you know, is when they turn to you at the end of interviews and say, have you got any questions for us? If they haven't brought it up, Ask them to describe the culture of their organization. Ask them how they represent that culture in the things that they ask employees and their team to do. And see if that resonates with, with you. Um, and alongside that, as with everything, a tenacity. You know, I've battled through many businesses, some that have failed and some that have succeeded, but having that tenacity uh, and that real will to to succeed is also really important as, and is infectious and will come through. So Adam, let, let me ask you then this question. Some of our students really are trying to figure out how to break into the industry. And I think the culture question of the company or, or the organization is absolutely paramount. But one of the follow-up questions that we typically get from students is how do you then get the best experience to put yourself in the category or conversation to be hired to get the interview to move on. So how would you tell them or tell our students effectively, you know, where can they go to get some good experience? Sure. Um, I, I would say that the, the best way is to, is, you know, and it's a, a little bit of a, uh, you know, an overused word, but your network. The network is so important uh you know it's always that you know when we talk to students is everybody wants experience but how am i going to get experience uh you know if i can't you know get a get my first place my first job the virtually everything i do now comes from a network it comes from the people that i know have met uh and how i try and support them and and comment on them and you know support the things that they are interested in and in turn that they do the same um, whenever i talk to students at college the best network to start off with is the people who are teaching you they are uh, often those who have been in the industry and just by saying who can you introduce me to i'm interested in this area who can i talk to uh that is a good starting point for any network 
And, you know, as, as you guys here can attest that by doing things like this, you know, if you have great students who could be interested in doing things uh, around uh, data and technology in sport, and are really passionate about that and hopefully share the same values as, as us, I'd love to be introduced to them. And I think that that's the same uh, as you go. And I always, when I first started out, didn't really understand the value of that network. And just asking, who can you introduce me to that may be able to give me some more information in this? I'm really interested in that. Who do you know? Uh, is there anyone who works in this field? And just by asking, it's amazing how far you can get. Well, Adam, this has been just not only practical, but just relevant to everything that's happening right now. Um, also just full of, you know, innovative ideas um, and fun. <laughs> we definitely had some fun today. So, you know, Jeff, Mark, uh, appreciate you both always. Uh, so we have a tradition, Adam, we end every podcast with our guest sharing just some advice. It could be life advice, career advice. So if you could look directly in the camera and we'll, we'll end after you. My advice is to, uh, to treat people with care and respect. I had a mentor uh, when I first started in business and he didn't really know much about what I was doing. But one thing that he was always there to do was to show care and to reassure and to be kind. And he achieved so much by having those as the tenants for what he worked for. And I think showing care and being kind, you can go a huge way. And that's a wrap. Join us next episode to talk with Howard Wright, CEO and president of C360, as we discuss the future of media tech.